You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, Purpose to Promise, we walk through the first 11 chapters of Genesis from God's purpose for his creation to his promise to Abraham. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. As we continue our journey through Genesis, we are going to finish up chapter 2. And throughout the first two chapters of Genesis, we have seen God exercise his sovereignty in creating everything. And he declared it all good. And after the creation of the human beings, he's stepping back, he declared all that he created very good. For the first time, God looks at the situation and claims, this is not good. What the rest of chapter 2 is going to show us is God entering in and fixing man's aloneness. Man was incomplete, not in a Jerry Maguire sort of way, but in the fact that there was no corresponding companion to fulfill the blessing. To fulfill the blessing that God gave man, which was to be fruitful and multiply. So God creates the woman so that together the human race can flourish. The human race can flourish, meaning humans can now fulfill its God-glorifying aim by following its God-given course. God the Creator is designing everything. Brother and sister, we are designed for relationship. We are designed for relationship. That is the part that is not good of God's not good statement. We are designed to be in relationship. So let me read our verses today and I'll pray for us and we'll dive in. Starting in verse 18, Genesis 2 says this. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that you would work in our hearts today, Lord, that we will see that we were made for relationships, Lord, that we are never, ever, ever alone. Lord, I pray that you will help those that may be sitting here today, 
amongst many people, but yet feel very, very alone. Lord, I pray that you, through your spirit, will show them that they are never alone and all that you have done to secure that. Lord, I just pray for your help. Allow me to communicate well. Allow me to put forth the message that you put on my heart. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The one thing I just want you to walk out the door with today, and I'm just going to tell you up front, is this, that you can take God at his word. You will never be alone. You will never be alone. And as I said in the prayer, and I know that some of you are sitting here today and like, man, but Joe, I feel very, very lonely. Yes, I know I'm sitting in a building with, you know, 30, 40 people and I have friends and I have family, but man, I just feel alone. But God is saying to you, you are never alone. You are never alone. So what I kind of want to do is is just kind of follow the flow of the narrative today and just kind of look at this passage in in four movements and talk about it. Um, I think there's one uh, barrier, one one cultural rock that we need to move out of the way, and we'll do that in the beginning to kind of read it correctly. And again, um, so much of, of what's happening in Genesis here um, is, is for you to see who God is, right? There's not a lot of uh, do things in here, right? There's, there's not a lot of things I can stand up here and exhort you, go do this. By believing in Jesus, go do this, right? I mean, I, we've attempted to, to bring Jesus in because we know that Jesus said that all scripture, it all points to him, right? And we'll do that again today. Um, but I just want you to leave here knowing, and you're never, ever Alone. I just want to look at four movements, right? And it, these are all things God did, right? That's kind of how I just want to break it up and, and talk about it today. God said, I will make a helper. God shows Adam his need for a helper. God forms the helper. And God binds them together. That's just kind of how we're going to unpack this today and, and follow kind of the, the flow of, of the passage today. And so, first of all, we want, to, we want to look at God said, I will make a helper. Right? Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, this is where one of the cultural barriers, I think, that we need to move out of the way before we can properly look at this. And, and there are many. And I could probably do, I don't know, a bunch of sermons on just this uh, passage because there is a lot here. So I had to pick and choose Okay, what, what will help us the most? And what do I think, you know, because we can't leave out Israel. So many things that we could talk about out of this passage wasn't relevant to Israel because they don't live in 2021. Um, but we need to figure out how, why God put this here for us today. Because we do live in 2021 and God's word works for us today as, as much as it did for them back then. So... Before we jump into this, we need to, again, remove one of the contemporary barriers as we read in the text. And I think that what we do is we read too much into the word alone. And we do so because we know how the text ends, right? 
We, we, when we look at the, the word alone, we, we start to think that alone means, um, we, we, we correlate these words. So we, we say alone, if I'm not alone, that means I'm married. Okay, that's, that's kind of how it seems like the, this barrier that we have. And, and, and I hear it within Christians, you know, as, as we walk together in, in life. It, it's like, okay, I'm either married and not alone, or I am not married and I'm alone. And I don't think that that's what this passage means. And I don't think that's what that, that Moses is using this passage as a signpost that marriage will always be the way that you're not alone anymore. We know this because we have the rest of the Bible, do we not? Right? We have the rest of the Bible. I don't want to read too much into it. Marriage is not being signposted as something that is universally necessary or always going to happen. Rather, it is indicating that a plurality of persons is what it would mean to be truly human. You see the, the shift here? I mean, yeah, I I could take this passage and I could break it apart and I could preach about marriage all morning long and and probably do it for three more sermons, right? And break it up and and see all the different things in it. But I think there's a bigger message here in, in Genesis that it is saying what it means to be truly human is to be part of a plurality of human beings and be in relationship with them. So I just think that we got to kind of remove that solid stance that we, we might think in our minds that not being alone means being married. And, and I think that we get there simply because the passage is leading us to the end, which shows us the definition of what it looks like to be married, right? And let me just give you some examples um, so that you can see and know, and I know that you guys know these examples, um, that this is that marriage is not necessarily right. It's not necessary. First of all, we have Jesus. He was not married, right? I wouldn't. He's not. I don't think he was alone in anything that he did. I mean, first of all, he had the Father with him all the time, right? Secondly, we know that um, Paul chose not to be married. And he wrote to the Corinthians all about this. He says, it's a, it's a, if, if you can not be married, it's a good thing. And the reason why he's saying it's a good thing is because you can then devote yourself as a single person to the church and to the church's mission, which is making much of God and making disciples of Jesus. So Paul was single. So not... You know, and and he might even been. I know that many times Jesus would go off on his own to pray and be alone. But there's many times where Paul was alone in in the prison. But you don't get the the, the idea that that marriage has to remedy the fact of being alone. I just I'm trying to take that rock, if you will, out of your thinking and just set it on the side as we look at the rest of this passage. Because I think if you're sitting here today and you're married and you understand that, man, that when I did get married, that, that really I have a, a lifelong companion, someone with me. And maybe you're sitting here today and, and, and you're single and, and that has not happened. But that doesn't mean that, that the only way that you're going to feel complete or feel um, not alone anymore is to be married. That's not what I think 
is going on here. I think there's something bigger here. He's showing us that what it means to be a human being is to be within a plurality of people and be within relationship of them. And the third example is obviously the new heavens and the new earth. Right? When the new heavens and the new earth come, marriage will no longer be needed because... Because the picture of marriage, which puts forth the priority of Christ and the church, will be fully met. It will be fully met because that's one of the, the, the reasons for marriage and the pictures of marriage. It shows Christ and the church and all that that entails. So Adam, his aloneness does not signpost marriage. It is what it means to be human. We're not designed to be alone. We are designed to be in relationship. And and let me just go back to the video clip. This is what happens whenever we are alone, right? That was the the purpose of just showing you that simple clip of, of whenever we are alone, we will maybe create a relationship as Tom Hanks had with the, the soccer ball or volleyball Wilson. So God looks down and he sees that man's alone and sees that it's not good and he makes a helper. He makes a helper. So what is Moses actually saying here? What does he mean by this this idea of helper? For too long people have read and used this to give a false notion that to be the man's helper is somehow to be inferior. That's completely wrong. Some have given the false notion that it is some form of inequality. That's completely wrong. And worse yet, some have, have taken it as a notion of being subservient of sort that has led to and continues to lead to the abuse and exploitation of women. This idea that somehow the woman is there to help the man to get along in life, to fulfill all that his heart desires, all that he wants to do. But that's not what it means to be helper. In the Bible, the word helper here is one of God's self-preferred titles. God gives it to himself. I am the helper. He is the helper that helps Israel. We kind of read it in Psalms 121. I know whenever we, we translate this into English, we don't, we don't see the nuances of this, but it is there. I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. It's his title. Who made heaven and earth. In Deuteronomy 33, 7. And this he said to Judah. Hear, O Lord, the voice of Judah. And bring him into his people. With your hands contend for him. And be a help against his adversaries. So it is a title that God used quite often. As helper. This man. As we read this. Will have one who will come alongside him. Who will fight for him. Who will deliver him. Just as Israel will need God, just as Israel will need me, God says, right? Just as Israel will need me, he will need her. 
right? He will need her. Just as Israel will have enemies that they will need delivered from, so too will the man have adversaries that can only be overcome by her and through the one who will come forth from her. Help her in all its glory. Help her. Remember that, that the woman is, is all through the Bible is a, is, a, is a picture of the bride of Christ, which is the church. So you can plug in many of these principles to the, the church as a body of believers. As those that, that may be single and saying, well, but Joe, you, you, you constantly are swerving into this relationship of marriage. Yes. But as someone who may be single, what you're giving your life to is God's mission, if you're a Christian, God's church, and what He wants you to do. And and as we encourage one another, build one another up, these things are fulfilled within the body of Christ for those who are not married, maybe are not yet married, and may be called to always be single. That's the Lord's calling and doing. So this idea of helper has no indication of inequality. It has zero indication of being inferior. And it certainly doesn't mean subordinate. To be used by man to get his will and his wants. They're all wrong ways, but what he's saying is, is this helper, just like God helps Israel, is going to come alongside the man to help him. And what God says, he says, I will make a helper fit for him. And maybe this, whenever you look at that, it's just sometimes whenever you go from one language to another, and I'm way in the deep end of things that I don't know a whole lot about, But you lose some of the nuances of what it's trying to say. So when when we, we see this fit for him, we need to be careful not to read beyond the meaning of these three words either. Fit for him. Right? This preposition for does not mean the woman is for him, meaning that the woman is to be used by him. Almost the language of commodity. And so much of our world today treats a woman like a commodity. And men, let me speak straight to you. If you are clicking on the things on the internet that you are not clicking on, you are treating women as a commodity. Stop it. Repent. They are God's beautiful design. So this phrase, fit for him, is actually one compound word in the Hebrew that means like opposite of him. Right? Like opposite of him. What is the woman? She is like opposite of him. Counterpart. The woman would be a a corresponding counterpart. As a counterpart, she would share in his nature. Male and female were created in the image of God. And as his matching opposite, she would supply what was lacking in him. She would supply what was lacking in him. Now, now we could see that within the body of Christ, and we could see that within a marriage, right? 
Because there's so many things that whenever you look at the, the body of the Christ, the bride of Christ, right? Because you've got, you got to think of it both ways. There's so many things that, that, that the women are being gifted to do and can do that the men can't do. That whenever you bring them all together, that's the kind of the picture that Paul was always giving us. That together, whenever we put everything together, that's whenever we will be making much of God to the world around us. As we're using all the different gifts. And he beautifully made the woman to, to correspond and be opposite in many ways to fulfill not only in the marriage, but within the church body to fulfill what's happening, to bring glory to God. So God declared that help was on the way from one who would be both like and unlike the man, one whose corresponding differences would make man complete for what God intended him to do. The woman would make it possible for man to do what he could never do alone. And likewise, for the woman, something very good would fill man's aloneness. To prepare the needy bachelor, God initiated an awareness program, right? And that's verses 19 to 20. God shows Adam that you need a helper, right? If we look at verses 19 through 20, now at the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he could call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But the Adam, there was, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So he's, he's. God's creating these animals and he's naming them. And, and as, as he's doing that, it's kind of like showing Adam, none of these are fit for you. None of these are like you, but opposite. And obviously, keep in mind that there's a blessing that was poured out. Be fruitful and multiply. As Adam fulfilled his God-given responsibility of interpreting the animals for what they were and giving them appropriate names, he slowly became aware that nothing God had made could give him companionship or fit for him to be fruitful and to multiply. It is reasonable to surmise that the man began to ache for a corresponding other. God was preparing him to value his helper, right? He was preparing. So then God, what does he do? He forms the helper. He forms the helper. Genesis 2, 21 through 23. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. This is another place where the language, I, I kind of got, I'll, I'll just step aside. I, I kind of get frustrated at this because it's like every translation talks about the, the man, the woman was formed from a rib. You know, God took a rib from the side. And then whenever you go and you look at all, all, the, all those that, that just study language for a living and, and give you these great tools and, and write these commentaries, they all say, well, it doesn't really mean rib. It means side. It's like, okay, so then why, when the hundreds of people gather together 
to write the Bible in English did they not put side, right? That's just Joe's process of thinking. Help me here, right? But, but I think maybe I, I found some help in that. So as to whether the, the rib refers to the side as it does in other scriptures or a specific rib is open to, be, to debate. So we'll just leave it open for debate. But rib seems to correct here because the scripture clearly states that God took one of his ribs, whereas one of his sides does not make, makes less sense. Again, I, I gave you my thinking of it, um, and that's the conclusion where we come. Mark Ken Hughes states this. The language pictures a long, curved, glistening rib, still moist with Adam's fluids and warm with his marrow. And no, men did not, do not have one less rib than women when God closed Adam back up. All right, this is just a, a picture of God creating woman from man. He goes on to say, meaning Arcan Hughes, he says the significance of this are several and profound. So maybe we need to take our focus off of whether or not it means side or rib and kind of see the, the bigger picture. And I think Arcan Hughes helped me see the, the bigger picture, right? Adam was not created ex nihilo, out of nothing, but out of the dust of the earth. And neither was Eve made ex nihilo. The rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made, literally built into a woman. She was made of the same stuff as the man, the same bone, the same flesh, the same DNA. So maybe that's the picture that he's trying to give. That I created you, but I created you differently. Puritan Matthew Henry quaintly coined it this way. The woman not made out of his head to top him not out of his feet to be trampled upon him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. And that doesn't matter if we're talking about your wife or your sister in Christ. This is our, our posture to them as those that are created in his image. So this woman that, that God created was stunning. Every aspect of her was perfect. She was perfect in body and in soul. She was perfectly sinless. She was perfectly sinless. What does God do? God brings her to Adam. My mind, whenever I'm, I'm reading that, I, I think of, I mean, I just get all these pictures, all these things that we do in our lives today, right, that are, are pictures of what God um, has done for us and, and are so many ways that we can be pointed to Christ through it. So, so, here, God, however he did it, if it was a rib or just open the side up and something happened here, right? We'll, we'll let that for debate. But he, he formed the woman and then he brings her to him. Where does, doesn't that take you somewhere? If you've ever been to a wedding, does it take you somewhere as, as the father walks down the aisle with the, the bride and gives them 
gives her over to the man so they may become one flesh, as we'll see later on. I'm getting ahead of myself. That's just the, the picture I have. It, it's not that, oh, you know, God gave the woman to man, a man could do whatever he wants. That's just complete garbage. That's the picture I have in my head. That, that beautiful time, you know, in, in two weeks, I'm going to do that, and it's, it's probably going to destroy me. And some of you men have done that. But that's the picture I have in my head as he brought the woman to Adam. So God prepares the needy bachelor, forms the woman, brings her to him, and he could not contain himself. And he shouts out, That is last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she came, she was taken out of man. We know that this part, most of, most of it probably in your Bibles, it's, it's probably adjusted, right? It it's, looks like it's poetry, right? It's, it's Adam, the, the first words of man ever recorded in the Bible. This at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, Israel would have probably heard this poetry more like this because the bones in Israel's time would, would kind of represent something and the flesh would represent something else. And we see that all through, you know, all through the Bible. We also know of it to be true just because of the human anatomy, right? They might have heard it of this. This is strength of my strength and weakness of my weakness. Knowing that the, the bone is far stronger than the flesh. We know that whenever we're, our souls are taken out of these vessels, that whenever we go to the ground, that the flesh goes away and the, the bones are, are still there. So Israel had it in his mind probably that it was strength of my strength. And weakness of my weakness. You know what that's saying? If there's any weakness to be found in woman, it's because of man. I'll let your minds take that one where you want it to go. But Adam's joyous cries are the first human words quoted in the Bible. They're the first human words Quoted in the Bible. God said, I will make a helper. God shows Adam his need for a helper. God forms the helper. And then God binds them together. God binds them together. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And a man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. We know that Moses' words were divine revelation because who repeated them? Jesus repeated them. In Matthew 19, 5, he just repeats the words, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. We must set it in stone 
especially in our culture today. We must set it in stone, especially in the culture that we live in today, that God is the one who created the institution of marriage. It was not government. It was not society. It was God. God created it, and he gets to define it. And God defines it by one man and one woman who come together to become one flesh. That is how God defines marriage. He created it. He gets to do it. The idea of man leaving his family, as the passage shows us, must have taken Israel off guard when they heard it, right? The the custom for them was for a man to marry and remain in his father's household, as did Jacob's sons who remained with him through... uh, though they founded their own families and fortunes. This is not meant to be a physical action, but a heart change, right? It's a heart change within the man. The union with his wife is so profound that he leaves his family even though he remains with them. In other words, his heart, his loyalties shift from his mother and father and his family to his wife. His first obligation and loyalties are to his wife. So many marriages fail today at precisely this point. Husbands and wives fail to leave their parents. They're still attached. They still give their loyalties to mom and dad. Now, I'm not saying that sometime later on in your life, You're going to have to go back and help mom and dad through a season of life where you're maybe looking at this and take a hard stance. Well, wait a minute here. The Bible says that I need to just give my loyalty to my wife and forget them. No, honor your mother and father. (laughs) So there may be a season where you go and, and help and love on them and care for them just as they did you. So please don't hear that when I say that. But if if you're here today, check yourself. Check your relationship if you're married. Does does mom still have say on everything that happens in your household? Have you truly left the house to go and make your home? That's between you and God. And then God, in his gracious, his loving graciousness, um, he finishes with the key to all great relationships as I try to bring this back to all the relationships. What did he say at the very end? They were what? They were naked and were not ashamed. They were naked and unashamed. And brother, sister, that is the key to every relationship. It doesn't matter if it's with your children. It doesn't matter if it's with your spouse, with your brothers and sisters, with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Being able to be naked and unashamed. Let me qualify that before you start throwing things at me. 
That is the key to relationships. They were naked means they were transparent. They were transparent. They weren't, listen to this, they weren't in control of what the other person saw. They didn't need to hide. They weren't afraid of being explored. They didn't need to be in control of what the other person knew about them. Why? Because they were unashamed. Because they were unashamed. See, they had a completely stable identity. They knew who they were. They knew that God, as the man, was created out of the dust, and as the woman was created out of his side, out of man. They knew exactly who they were, so they were not afraid of what the other person might know of them. That's what we all need, brother and sister. That's what we fight every day. We get up every day and it's like, okay, how can I hide from the world and, and, and everybody today? You might not just openly say that, but if you stop and think about it, how much of that do we do? How much of that do we do? We just run around with our arms up hoping people don't truly see what's going on in our lives, what we truly feel. We run around hiding. But this is what we all need. We need to be known and yet loved. Right? We need to be known and yet loved. Probably other than maybe a spouse that you've been with many years, just about every person here, including me, the person that knew you best was mom. Right? And sometimes, I know when I say that, some of you may have strained relationships with mom, but at some point in time, I would imagine that she knew you best. And it didn't matter. It seems like no matter how crazy or how bad we acted, and bad is a bad word, we, sometimes we were just idiots, what would happen? Who would be there? Who would come and give you a hug? Who would accept you in all your warts and everything that you've done? Even if, even if you're pushing back against her. Mom, she knew you and yet loved you. See, we need to be naked, totally known, and yet completely loved, unashamed. The problem in this world is we can't do it. We know that we can get love if we spin people, if we manipulate people. We can get love. We can tell them what they want to hear so that they can love us. We can set things up and manipulate them into a situation where they will love us. And we also do that by not being honest with them and allowing them to see our junk, to see our messiness. But what you need to know, brother and sister, what you need to know is on the cross, Jesus was crucified 
and he was crucified naked. He was stripped naked. They cast lots for his clothes. That was the ultimate humiliation. Why was he willing to do that? Why was he ravaged like that? He did it to pay for our sins. He did it to pay for our sins. Jesus' nakedness can be your cover. It is your cover. Why did he do that? He did it because he loved you. Allow his nakedness be your cover. Because you have no guilt. You have no shame. You have no fear. It's all been taken by Christ. Because you are in him. Didn't he know who you were when he saved you? (laughs) Yes, he did. He knew exactly who you were. And in fact, he probably knows exactly of all the sins that you're committed after he came and got you. But he still came and got you anyway. Didn't he look right deep into your heart and know the man's heart and what sins and what you're struggling with? Yes, he did, but he loved you anyway. The nakedness of Christ is proof God has looked all the way into your heart and loves you anyway. Enough that his son would be sacrificed. If you take that and put that in the middle of your life, if you understand and believe in Jesus Christ, so you realize what that means, you realize that kind of love... If you believe in Christ in such a way, you can be naked and unashamed before God. You can say, I know I am a sinner, but I'm covered and loved anyway because of Jesus. See, this is the relationship. This is the relationship that makes for a good marriage. That is the relationship that makes for a good church. For a church that honors and glorifies him. That we would be open and honest with one another. That we would share in our messy lives because none of us got it together. We're all stumbling and we're all moving forward together. And by God's grace, he's given us a family to do it together with. Because Christ paid for our sins and brought us into his family. Brother and sister, you are never alone. You are never alone. Even if you're stranded on an island like Tom Hanks was, you are never alone. The single person has brothers and sisters in Christ, in the local faith family, and all around the world. The students from crew are going to get in vehicles. They're going to travel seven, seven and a half hours to to Michigan. They're going to open up the doors and they're going to be with brothers and sisters in Christ as they gather together and move forward to give the good news to those of the Muslim faith. All around the world, you have brothers and sisters in Christ. Millions and billions of people. And later on in the Bible, God, through Paul, calls you to use your signalness to give yourself to the mission of God. That is to make disciples of the one who covered 
your nakedness. The married couple have been given each other. You have been given each other. And as you continue to get to know each other and get to know each other's heart, this is what happens in the first year of marriage, right? You truly see who you married. You were never alone. And because Christ covered our shame and brought us into himself, all Christians have been given the Holy Spirit who dwells in us and assures that you are never, ever alone. But brother and sister, if, if this whole thing that we do called Christianity, if it's just doctrines on the wall and things that we do and be a good person and not a person, Jesus Christ, God, someone personal to us, then we will always be alone. I beg you, acknowledge him in all that you do. He is with you. His spirit dwells with you. I read that passage this morning, and let, let me close with that. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you have remembered that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Because they thought Jesus was leaving Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper. Need how that word comes back? The helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he is with us today. God said it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Shall we pray? Father, I just ask, Lord, that you will help us see one, that we are never alone because the Spirit dwells in us. And Lord, that we can live a life naked and unashamed before you and before others because our elder brother, Jesus, died on a cross, forgave us of all our sins, and he has called us to himself. Lord, help us be a faith family. That is working on this. That is trusting in you. And Lord, I, I pray today, Lord, that as we go to the communion table, Lord, as we remember what you have done, how you have covered our nakedness, Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts. That maybe just a little bit maybe just a little baby step closer to allowing others into our lives to see all that goes on. And as we do that, your spirit will work 
and sanctify us. And Lord, I pray that you will help us do so. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.